Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John McComb. And I'm Eric Skoskowspel. Well guys, um, it is just two days before the Music City Bowl. Um, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but... Uh, my days are a little wonky, but with the uh, Christmas holiday, uh, my wife's taking a, a little bit of time off between uh, the new year, um, just kind of days are all running together a little bit weird. I'm gearing up to drive down uh, the morning of the game. I, it's just kind of all running together. It, it's it's kind of weird. Like this game is kind of sneaking up on us and yet it seems like it's not it can't get here soon enough. Have you sworn off Kentucky bourbon until the tailgate? Um, I'm drinking something completely foreign as far as <laughs> bourbon goes these days. So no worries on that front. It is weird. Um, just feeling like bowls, like, yeah, like the season still is kind of coming up. I mean, it's, it's strange. I was playing in the pinstripe bowl tonight. Last year I was at that game. Um, at this time last year, so yeah, it's... You, you, you better be happy that that was last year, not this year. Oh my I mean, gosh, we're that not game is tundra. frozen. I mean, it they were is. they were switching from cleats to sneakers because that field was ice block. I know it is fortunate for our guys that they're in Nashville this year. Yeah, Iowa, which uh, is the... going to be cold. I mean, by the way, it's going to yeah. be chilly, but it's not going to be frozen tundra of Yankee Stadium. Right, but it is strange though that it that it, it does feel like it is sneaking up on us this year, and I guess it's because we're in this kind of weird ground where we're you know we're after Christmas, we're right up against New Year's, you know we're a pretty quality game, and yet it's not a New Year's Day game and everything, and and uh, as we were kind of talking about that may um, help explain what is looking to be some squirrely attendance for the Westlot Pirates viewing party at Arlington Ale House in Arlington Heights. Um, it's the attendance is definitely lower than it was two years ago for the Outback Bowl. But again, that's just based on the numbers that I've got so far. Again, anyone who wants details or is interested in coming, please come on out um, to the Arlington Ale House in Arlington Heights. And if you want information about it, email uh, westlotpirates at gmail.com. So today we're going to go ahead and uh, really dive into uh, the preview of this game as we uh, really kind of break down Kentucky um, you know, this is a team that, you know, on, they are an SEC team and, you know, kind of reading the, you know, the quotes coming out of, uh, Northwestern's uh, practices, you know, from Fitz and from Thorson and, you know, you know, kind of the quote unquote coach speak that what they're saying, oh yeah, this is an SEC team. They're just a few drives away from being a nine win team. You know, they got all sorts of talent. Okay, sure. That, that, that's what they have to say. But here's what we have to say. This is not a great Kentucky team. Defensively, they're not very good. All the statistics, you know, they are the S&P plus. They're mediocre at best. And then, of course, you know, we come to find out this week that there's, you know, their linebacker Denzel Ware suspended for the game. He's their second highest uh, tackler, their second leading sack uh, getter. Um, you know, their second best defensive player, he's, he's out for the game, uh, via suspension. So, uh, you know, takes one of their best players on a weak defense 
away, making a mediocre defense even a little more mediocre. Yeah, I mean, that's a uh, a boon for Northwestern, certainly. And I think, you know, you, yes, they're an SEC team, but they're an SEC East team. And outside of Georgia, that half of the conference was hot garbage this year. So um, we're, the, we're the team that gets to, to reap the rewards of that. I mean, I think this is not going to be an easy game, but – this is a game, you know, Bill Connolly's numbers uh, give Northwestern a 70% chance of victory. The SCUS model, I believe, has this as its number one confidence game, or at least it's in the top three or four. Uh, this, I mean, if you're if you're looking at the numbers on paper, if you're looking at the records, if you're looking at the opponents, objectively, uh, this is not a particularly close matchup. Um, it is one-sided in Northwestern's favor. Now, we all know bowls, weird stuff happens. Like you cannot bank on that. So uh, Northwestern has to has to go into this with you know everything that that the the players and the coaches were saying that you talked about, Sammy. I mean that's that's critical. So uh, I just I'm I love this matchup for Northwestern. I think it is so good for the Cats. I think you know this Kentucky team is one that relies on the running game. We talked about it before. They run more often than the average team. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about this. Uh, their their primary uh, playmaker is Benny Snell, the running back. He's really good, but the Cats have had great success against against running teams all year. And their quarterback, he has 60% completion percentage, a hair over 7, well, 7.3 yards per attempt. Uh, just gave up a lot of sacks. Like, it's not a... It's not a compelling offensive threat for the Cats. And then when you look at you know losing wear on the defensive side, something I really like to look at in in, in bold in, uh, in bowl matchups, and has worked out well for uh, for looking at Northwestern in the past, um, is the havoc rate that is one of Bill Connolly's big stats. So last year, you know, going up against the Pitt uh, the Pitt Panthers, the the havoc rate, like basically the the negative plays or the disruption that their team can can create and their different units can create, uh, they were on the lower end of the different opponents we had played, and we saw that play out in the bowl game. That's very true again this year. Kentucky is uh, nowhere close to any of the, the the teams on our schedule that were good on havoc rate, and frankly, if you weren't in the top. Uh, the top twenty or the top ten in your DBs or the top twenty in your line in your uh, in your overall havoc rate, you didn't come close to beating us. So uh, this is a great setup for Northwestern. Um, linebackers are kind of the only thing that Kentucky had going for them this year, and losing wear really knocks them down a peg. For sure, and you know Ware basically was kind of like a linebacker hybrid defensive end kind of player, but. It's really important to understand that, <clears throat> and Sam alluded to this earlier, Kentucky does not have a lot of impact players. It's a low-performing defense overall. Um, but again, right, like the team, our team's saying all the right things about SEC talent and everything. But if if you look, it's, it's not like the bread is buttered the same way for all teams in the SEC when it comes to recruiting. It's not like you get four-star players just by being an SEC team. Benny Snell is the classic profile of a guy that had Northwestern offered him, we very likely would have had him sign with us. He's from Ohio. Rivals had him rated as kind of like a mid-three-star um, kind of guy. I think he had an Iowa offer. 
Um, and that was probably his best offer other than Kentucky. He had a Cincinnati offer. I mean, as I'm saying this, this very much sounds like the profile of a lot of the running backs that we've picked up. And, um, you know, even in just this class, if you look at a Jeremy Larkin or someone like that, that's a guy from a similar area with a much higher profile. Um, so uh, now Denzel Ware would be an example of a guy. I mean, that guy had a Florida offer, a couple of things, but he was not a monster recruit either. I mean, it's just like Kentucky is not one of the cream of the crop teams of the SEC. They don't recruit at that level. They don't play at that level. Historically, this is just this freak year where things bounced their way. And based on the way the chips fell in the SEC, they ended up um, where they ended up. One place, I mean, Scuzz highlighted a lot of it. Um, a couple things that I think it's important to point out. In total defense, Kentucky was 12th out of 14 teams in the SEC this year. They were 13th out of 14 in yards per play. They give up plays in big chunks. Only Arkansas um, gave up more big plays. Now, are we a big play team? No, but it tells you that there's definitely a chance we're going to be able to, to open some things up mainly where that hit them was pass yards. And we alluded to it, I think, either one or two weeks ago. Um, down the stretch, Kentucky played a lot of good quarterbacks, and every one of those good quarterbacks tore them apart. So again, I mean, the onus is on Clayton to kind of show out and the, and the wide receivers. The opportunity is really there for those guys. The other thing is losing wear is really a big deal for them. Um, not just because he's probably one of their three best players on defense, but because he's really the only impact player they have on the defensive line. I guess if you really wanted to pick Kentucky's best, second best defensive lineman, you'd go with the opposite end, defensive end, uh, TJ Carter. But that's a guy who has three sacks on the season and three TFLs. So his three tackles for loss were on three sacks. And that was really his only production. This is a guy who had 16 tackles on the year. Um, their next best defensive lineman is probably tackle Adrian Middleton. He had three TFLs and one sack. So again, these are guys who are not producing much impact. Um, I think if we had to, to narrow it down, the best overall player is probably Mike Edwards, who's their kind of do-it-all safety, team's leading tackler, four picks, um, had four TFLs. He's kind of a Godwin Iguibuike type um, or Kyle Caro. But they only have one of those guys. They don't have two like we do. Um, and aside from that, there's Josh Allen, their linebacker, big-time producer. You can't argue with that. But that's it. Um, there, It drops off a cliff after that. There is no one on this team where you can look and be like, this guy is a serious producer, even if you go down into any particular statistical category. Um, they had three special players. They lost one. Um, and this is a team that doesn't put many exceptional athletes on the field, and the results bear, bore that out. Well, and they're just—they're not very good in coverage, and I, you know, they—they they didn't have to face a lot of great quarterbacks, like you said, John, until the last couple weeks of the season, like early on, you know, South Carolina, Florida, uh, I guess Missouri, you know, um, was decent, but I, you know, they—they—they they, they weren't really challenged quite a lot and their and their their defensive backfield still didn't put up very good statistics and to me when you look at you know that they, they had to they had to disrupt the passer they had to um to get sacks really to win games and you look at their sack differential and their win loss record and they they line up pretty pretty spectacularly we've talked about that in the past with northwestern right if we get more sacks than we give up um in a lot of years that's that's been the 
a, a indicator of whether or not we're going to win, win or lose a game. I was very true with Kentucky this past year, with the exception of I think Eastern Kentucky. Uh, they had to they had to match or uh, beat their opponents on the sack front to uh, to uh, to win. So I, again, I just I really love this matchup for the Cats. I think it I think it plays to our strengths a little bit. You, John, you mentioned they're they're bad against the pass. They got torched, but. They're in the in the nineties uh, in terms of defense against the run as well. So I think Justin Jackson's going to have plenty of opportunity. I think our O line, uh, if if they show up, there's there's just there's plenty of points to be had in this Music City Bowl on the northwestern side of the of the field. And what, what's interesting, um, you know, when when this game was announced, I think we opened as a seven point favorite, and checking it right now, it's gone up to eight. People are betting on Northwestern at seven, enough that it's gone up to eight. So that that's kind of scary, at least as far as a gambling perspective goes. I don't care for that very much. Um, well, we know we know one guy that that uh, took Kentucky, and that's uh, that's Chris, Chris from the Winning Cures Everything podcast. And, yes, he sure did. Uh, I I wonder how he's feeling now that Denzel wears out of the game. We'll we'll have to ask him. But uh, yeah, I mean. Just all all of the all of the signs. I mean, there. I, I guess in, in, this is really kind of a digging deep, and you know, if, if there's one area that Kentucky does look a little bit better than Northwestern, and that that's on special teams. Um, you know, their their field goal kicker is really really good, and you know, we don't have any trust in in our field goal game. Uh, their punter's been phenomenal all year they've been able to flip the field um you know they've got a good return game if you're counting on your special teams to win the game for you that is trouble well it's funny he doesn't play special teams although he's a kind of special teams kind of guy but i guess if you ask me offhand who scares me on this team um it's not really snell i guess garrett johnson would be maybe the guy um, just because he's he's Kentucky's leading receiver, he's this tiny little burner um, who, interesting, left we recruited uh, four years ago. Um, he was part of the class of 2014. A tiny little guy. Um, you can really see that uh, he fits the Jelani Roberts profile. I mean, they're almost the exact same person. Um, and Kentucky uses him, I think, the way that we wish that we would use Jelani. Um, they get him the ball, they put it in his hands a lot, and they try to, to get him to make plays. Um, but with that said, if you look at his athleticism and you look at his production, Quadri Henderson was a much better version of the exact same thing last year. Um, same type of guy, much better version. And with that said, Quadri Henderson gashed us. Um, he was a big performer in that game, uh, both positive and negative. I mean, he had a key fumble when Anthony Walker stripped him, but he also had that massive uh, touchdown play for them. So, um, you know, guys like that, um, Akram Wadley kind of guys, little guys that, that have the ability to make game-breaking plays, I think make me a little bit nervous. But this guy does not have the elite athleticism uh, of a Henderson, and you could argue even of a Wadley. So um, there's... There's just not a heck of a lot here. This is the profile of a team that should not be bowling, that is um, based on a weird set of circumstances. And again, I know our, our boys are saying all the right things. 
Um, you know, and, and everyone's preaching SEC, SEC, SEC. And yes, this team played a lot of teams with, you know, um, legit bona fides historically, but um, not this season. Yeah, Steven Johnson kind of can do a little dual threat. And, you know, we've had a little bit of, you know, that gave us a, a little bit of an issue, like with, um, you know, against Michigan State, you know, Trace McSorley kind of, uh, did a, a little bit against us, you know, against with Penn State, but you know it's not like we got destroyed by a dual threat quarterback this year. Well, I think like Daniel Jones is much more of a dual threat. Yeah, he, he ran he ran over 120 times this year. Uh, he, he looked really good in uh, the uh, Quick Lane Bowl against Northern Illinois. Yeah, and, and Johnson averages. I mean, he he's almost half that in terms of of his his carries. So I. The other thing about Johnson, he fumbles a lot. He he fumbled the ball five times this year. He only lost it twice, but still, I just I don't I don't think they want to run with him. I think it's more of a um, kind of like well, maybe less, maybe not even as much as Thorson, but I think it's more of a if the pocket breaks down, like he will take off. But I don't think he's a dual threat um, in and of himself that they're going to call you know running plays for him outside of like the occasional QB sneak on a on a short yardage type situation. Um, I think he 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 really does not worry me very much. I think uh Garrett Johnson certainly is a concern. Taven Richardson's another one in that receiver core and he's he's a different problem in that he's 6'3" 214. Um decent catch rate and uh, and success rate on the year. Uh not a ton, only 282 yards. Like again, like Johnson's just not that great of a QB, but the thing that that I I th- the thing that I think has given Northwestern the most difficulty uh, over the years is the is the large physically imposing receiver and you think about like what Felton Davis did to us in the Michigan State game uh Matt Vandenberg Corey, Corey Davis yeah, last Corey year. Davis last year you know uh I, I I just think that poses a unique challenge for our cornerbacks that um is is difficult for them to adjust to and you know not having a guy like Matt Harris like we, we saw what Harris was able to do one-on-one with Corey Stewart Hardage is a great a great corner, but he's not at that kind of shutdown level. He's also not nearly as big as Harris was, um, or maybe he doesn't just doesn't play quite as big. But I think I think our safeties are really going to uh, have their hands full. I don't think Kentucky is going to um, have much much success attacking our linebackers. You know, Patty Fisher was such a such a great player in coverage this year, as well as in run as in run defense. Uh, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. The, the the linebackers in general, Nate Hall, uh, really came to play this year and, and had a couple picks, etc. So I I just don't see Kentucky being able to attack our linebackers um, in the way that some other teams have, have really tried to. And I think they're going to resort to throwing deep balls. Um, and so it's going to be on our D-line to to get pressure and disrupt that. And it's going to be on uh, on our safeties and our secondary to, to keep coverage. Uh Finally, I think before we uh, move on to talk about the playoff, um, I did notice that uh, I think Northwestern has uh, swept all of the uh, the pre-bowl game uh, fun competitions. Uh, I think they won the uh, the music competition. I think they won the hot chicken eating contest today. Um, you know, they've kind of uh, mopped the floor with Kentucky and all of the the dumb pre-game competitions so far. Yep. Take that with whatever non-factor you, you'd like. But uh, 
I, that's you know, anecdotal at best. It's funny. I I think back to to Bo Sizek, and then I think of Tyler Lancaster, and I almost wonder: Have we started to to give out the number one based on ability to crush it in bowl game festivities? <laughs> <laughs> because I just see either of those guys dominating in singing or wing eating. And oh man. So I, I'm sure Tyler Lancaster just led a furious charge by the Cats in those situations, and, and now he's going to, to take it out on the field. Hey, look, I mentioned it last week. There's a there's a Louisville-Kentucky basketball game happening just a couple hours before this, this game kicks off. I don't – I mean, I know there were some Northwestern fans that really weren't excited about this, but the proximity to Chicago, the, the winnability of this game, the, the fact that this, this team ended the season on such a high, like – the team and fans, to, to my eye, are excited about this um, on the Northwestern side. And I just, I don't know. I mean, I work with a bunch of people who went to, to University of Kentucky, but none of them could care one wick about football. Um, I just don't think that there's a, I think there's a motivation gap is where, where, where I'm landing with this, or at least an enthusiasm gap right now. Whether or not that that comes into play in the game is another story, but um I like the fan. The fan sh- turnout is is almost certainly going to be lopsided, and if it's not, like Northwestern fans, you're all fired. Um, like th- this is this is an e- maybe not easy, but this is a, a very manageable trip from Chicago for for a game we've never been to in a in a cool location. Yeah, it's going to be cold, but it's going to be a heck of a lot warmer than ba- Chicago on Friday. Oh my ba- God, yes. Ba- based on my efforts to organize this viewing party in Arlington Heights, I can only assume the stands will absolutely be packed in Nashville uh, with everyone who's traveling to this game. I'm I'm thinking very glass half full uh, about the situation right now, but um, right, no, I think it, it's a situation too where the team can. Maybe something that we haven't really seen, I guess, maybe the Mississippi State game, but pick up a win, but maybe pick up a result that in and of itself really generates a lot of forward momentum. And again, I feel like we're really starting to put the cart before the horse here, but if the digger, the deeper you dig, we're just better than this team. Um, we played many teams who are better than this team this season and beat them. Um, so it's it's just a situation of, executing coming out and being the team that really closed out the whole second half of the season if that team shows up there this really should be academic if we if we come out flat though like we did against duke like we did against penn state i mean all bets are off so yeah uh, no absolutely i mean let let let's be, let's not you know say that there is no chance that we lose this game because there is absolutely a chance that we lose this game you know we can you know there are plenty of scenarios um, you know, like you say, we come out flat. We don't, you know, a couple guys get ejected for targeting. It's, yes. We've seen, yeah. we've seen exactly, Ugh. we've seen exactly the string of events that lead to a bad result in this situation. You're right. Uh, for sure. But again, like, you know, we have to give the team credit for the seven wins that they've rattled off. This is a team that's, that's hot, that's playing good football right now. And hopefully they carried that right through the layoff. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about, um, the last two bowl games that we didn't talk about in our uh, bowl previews, and that's the playoff games. Um, January 1st, uh, we got the Rose Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Start with the Rose Bowl, uh, Georgia, Oklahoma, uh, number three and number two. Um, 
you know, th- this is a real interesting matchup to me. Um, you know, you got the Heisman Trophy winner, Baker Mayfield, um, all of his bravado. Uh, you got the you know, high octane offense of Oklahoma and the just a ground and pound running attack of Georgia. Um, I, I'm definitely excited for this one. Georgia's a, a point and a half favorite. I'm not, I, you know, I don't know which way to go on this one. I think Oklahoma, I, I'd call an Oklahoma to win, but I'm not confident in that at all. Oh, I like, I like Georgia. Um, really? Skuz, okay. Skuz model likes Georgia. I just, <sighs> Baker Mayfield's a great quarterback. Oklahoma has a ton of weapons. Um, they were shockingly good in every big game that they played in this year. Um, despite the, the turnover, the unexpected turnover, um, in the coaching box and, you know, Oklahoma gets a ton of credit for that. Obviously they're just, they're a team that is stacked with talent. This Georgia team to me seems to be, um, uniquely set up to beat them though. A, a team that, that can control the ball can, can, I mean, kind of old school, right? Like keep Baker Mayfield on the sidelines and then arguably the best defense in the country. And, you know, that some of that reputation is based on beating a Notre Dame team that is very one-dimensional, is all run. Um, Oklahoma will not be that way. Uh, Baker Mayfield will, will attack you in multiple, multiple ways. And, but what Georgia did to Auburn in the SEC championship game Oklahoma does not have the type of defense that Auburn does, and I just, I think, I think, I think the Bulldogs are are a stronger favorite than one point for my money right now, and I just, I, I think Oklahoma is going to have to play a perfect game and really connect on on an inordinate number of big plays uh, to get it done. I, you know, they they gave up massive amounts of points to a number of different teams this season, and. If they can't contain Georgia's run game, they're, Mayfield's not going to have enough time on the field to, to get it done. For sure. Before I go into my own personal analysis, I just want to pause it. And with the caveat that I'm currently 16th out of 18 teams in the Westlot Pirates Bowl <laughs> challenge, uh, directly behind my three-year-old daughter, whose picks were entirely made based on what animal she liked more in, in any particular game. So take that with a grain of salt before I give any analysis here. Um, most likely what I say will be wrong. But with that said, I, I'm aligning myself very much with Scuzz, who, who it should be said is doing quite well, as is Sam. But the... Um, the fact that this Heisman race this year wasn't a particularly uh, exciting Heisman race should not take away from the fact that Baker Mayfield is an extremely deserving Heisman Trophy winner. And if he's not in this game, Georgia slaughters Oklahoma. That's how good he is. John, I'm, and, not, I'm not sure he has the maturity for yeah, that, for I'm that not trophy. Sure. He planted a flag in the middle of a field and no, he, he no, he flags. didn't. It was turf. Yeah, it didn't plant. It, it settle didn't down, stick. everyone. Come on. True. It didn't <laughs> stick. He made um, an obscene gesture on national television. He likes to drink the beers, and he says, <laughs> "I, I just, I think the thing I like the most about him, I think, is his Homer Simpson, Homer Simpson, eternal five o'clock shadow." Um, like it looked like it looked like he shaved like one minute before he accepted the Heisman Trophy, and it grew out in the amount of time it took him to get up to the podium. 
Um, but whatever. Like, I kid. The guy is a gamer all the way. And the bigger the game, the better he plays. I mean, he's the real deal all the way. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, do you think one guy can do it all by himself? We've certainly seen it happen again. Um, but Georgia is stacked. That running game, I mean, Nick Chubb, they, they're not going to have an answer for him. Um, and from again... When it's all said and done, maybe the better pro prospect of the two quarterbacks in this game. So that's a that's a very fair point. It's a very it's fair just, point. It's just crazy. I mean, it's Mayfield is that good. Hey, but it's if, it's if, worth if, mentioning at this stage, especially because we just had signing day um, last week. Oh my God, uh, that, Georgia! Holy well, moly! Well, not just not just the haul that Georgia brought in, but the fact that Baker Mayfield was a walk on. At Texas Tech. Yeah. Yeah. And just... didn't get playing time, so he transferred to Oklahoma and look at where and, he is and now. And walked that, on again. That, walked on again at Oklahoma. That he... story, I don't believe, has been told enough this year. I think the focus has been more on Mayfield's antics and, and you know, his his pedigree coming in because, you know, he was a Heisman finalist last year as well and was, and was very good. So um, I just – that's just stunning to me to sit back and think about that and, and what this guy's accomplished. So, um, it, you know, my my, my uh, funny comments notwithstanding, like, kudos to this dude. And, you know, I hope we see a really good game. I My fear is that Georgia is just going to suck the life out of this thing. And um, not that it won't still be entertaining, but that they're really going to uh, – Whole, put put their boot on Oklahoma's uh, variable well, throat. And, and that's the funny thing, not to step too much on the second game here, but three of these teams all have a really similar profile, and then Oklahoma just has the best player yeah. in the country. Yeah. Like, it's three monsters, and then this team that is that just doesn't have it where the other teams do, but they've got Baker Mayfield. But you're right, if you make me pick, I'm going with Scuzz. Like, I, Georgia's got too much. Georgia and Alabama, to me, are almost the same team this season, and I think if you put George up against Oklahoma, they just have too many ponies. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely looking forward to that. It's going to be a ton of fun. Um, later on that evening, uh, you got the rematch of the national championship game two years in a row. Uh, you know, ESPN will tell you a million times over it's the rematch part, part three. Uh, Alabama Clemson. Um, you know they were just drooling uh, to to put this one together, um, and to not have uh, Clemson Ohio State in this one. Uh, but yeah, Alabama. <laughs> Al- <laughs> do you think if it wasn't that Clemson matchup, do you think if if this was the team opposite Oklahoma that that they might have been more likely to put Ohio State in? I, I think possibly, yeah. I I mean this this matchup was the dream matchup. Oh, um, forgot? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's the rubber match. Um, now I would argue that with without one Deshaun Watson, uh, I think so. As, as strongly it loses, as I, it loses a little bit of luster, but uh, it loses a lot of luster, and I'll tell you why. Because Clemson barely beat Alabama with Deshaun Watson, and Kelly Bryant ain't Deshaun Watson yet. He's really good. I think, I think this could be a blowout. Um, I think Alabama has been under underappreciated and undersold by everyone, and Nick Saban doesn't often get to live in that in that dark place. But when he does, look out! 
Uh, I just I think that Alabama is going to be a far healthier version than you saw in the in the back half of the season. I they, you know they still you know barely uh, lost one game to to Auburn on the year. Maybe not barely. I, uh, Auburn was in control for for most of that game, but. Kelly Bryant does not have the uh, the ability to control a game like Deshaun Watson did. He doesn't have the ability to will uh, his team to victory yet. He just hasn't been in those types of situations. And may- maybe he'll get there. Maybe he will come out and be amazing in this game. But I I think Alabama is going to run away with this. It's not even going to be close. That is so funny. I, I mean, I'm fascinated by that take. And I say this as someone who doesn't particularly like Alabama, um, and I also think that Alabama is absolutely loaded with talent, but this Clemson team is a juggernaut. Um, I mean, they've played, they've been recruiting at a championship level for many years now, and they're stacked. I mean, their defense is awesome, and their offense puts up big points. I mean, and again, no one stocks the cupboard like Alabama, um, but, you know, it's funny, we talked about signing day earlier. And Georgia absolutely dominating and recruiting right now. They flipped a couple guys um, from they stole uh, the best lineman in the country, basically right out of the state of Ohio, right out from under Urban Meyer's nose. Um, and and Clemson kind of do the same thing by actually apparently Dabo Dabo church going man, wonderful man. Um, apparently did Scuzz's just some, favorite guy in the world. Scuzz's favorite guy in the world. So did some really dirty negative recruiting against Urban Meyer, like alluding to his health and being like, he's not going to be around for very long because of his health. So you shouldn't go there. Just, but I mean, church going man, God fearing man, good man, Davos Sweeney. But in any case, I digress. But the point is Georgia and Clemson are just stacked with talent. It's insane. If you look at the quarterbacks behind Bryant, whoa, Nelly. Uh, like, the guys behind him trying to take his job, they have, like, the number one quarterback in the country three straight years of, like, 16, 17, 18. It's insane. But they're – I think it's – you're right. He's Bryant is not what Watson was. But this team is way better as a team than they even were two years ago the first time that they played. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, you don't think so? Oh, Whoa. man. Hold on. Hold the phone here. I got to – all right. I got to pull up some stats. All right. Where's the popcorn? Where's the popcorn? Oh, there uh, – I just think – I mean, this is a team – they smoked Miami. They smoked South Carolina. They put up. Well, hang on, points. hang on, hang on. South Carolina is SEC East. Uh, and we just got done talking about how the SEC East minus Georgia was hot garbage. So I guess, but I mean, well, they beat Auburn. <laughs> um, Auburn's they, not SEC East. No, I'm saying, I'm saying Clemson beat Auburn. Uh, Clemson put up 47 points at Louisville. Uh, they put up 31 points at Virginia Tech. I mean, these were convincing wins. They fell on their face at Syracuse. But if you take that Syracuse game out of the equation, Clemson basically played well all season long. And they're, again, yes, they haven't played a team as good as Alabama, unless you count Auburn. Uh, I think Alabama's better than Auburn. I think, I think Auburn, at the, the, Auburn at the beginning of the year was not the Auburn it is now. Yeah, I mean, again, I just... They're, Clemson's the number one team in the nation for a reason. Like, they played good football all season long with the expect, exception of one game. And, yes, they don't and, have Deshaun Watson. And, and that, but, that's what's actually really interesting. Um, I mean, if 
you, you both Clemson and Alabama have one loss. And if you look at it as, you know, if you compare the losses, both yeah, both losses were on the road, but Alabama's loss is much better uh, is a much better loss than Clemson's loss. Oh, you know, for sure. Oh, for sure. So, so then, lost. then why is Alabama number four and Clemson number one? Because of when it happened? Well, I, I think part of the problem is that Alabama didn't play anybody else this year. So, okay. I, I mean, a li- we, we've got a little bit of, of a paper tiger in Alabama, and then you've got a Clemson team that, to your point, John, steamrolled everyone. Every advanced, every every matchup of advanced stats that I see has got Alabama favored slightly. Uh, Scuzz model, Bill Connolly, etc. Um, I, I think if you if you go back two years, uh, Clemson beat uh, a a top ten ranked Notre Dame team. They beat a top fifteen ranked Florida State team. Uh, they beat a top ten ranked North Carolina team. Uh, those first two games were certainly at home, and then they uh, they beat Oklahoma by twenty in the first round of the playoff. They had one at Louisville. Um, they beat Miami fifty eight nothing on the road. Granted, a very different Miami team, but um, the other thing, and and this is the the hole that I that I have in in the logic of how stacked their team is and how great of a coach Dabo is. The moment Kelly Bryant rolled his ankle and couldn't play anymore, they lost at freaking Syracuse. Syracuse. I guess I, I. So my point is not. You don't that think Alabama's Cle- going to take away Kelly Bryant and make make Clemson figure out how to do something other than they're usually doing? I. They, I mean, they don't have a way to. They don't. They don't have a second gear. I. I don't know. I just. My point is not that Clemson is way better than Alabama. My point is that both of these teams are stacked. Like very true. I, I don't look at Alabama and Clemson anymore and think of it as the Alabama juggernaut against the little Clemson engine that could. I think both of these teams are monsters. Well, I um, mean, I mean, two years ago, the the notion that Clemson was the little engine that could was a misnomer as well because they've been recruiting at that level on defense for a decade. Um, yeah, I mean, and it was at, it was finally having. I mean, like they got close to breaking through with Taj Boyd. They had some other like close calls here and there, but there was the you know there was the whole Clemsoning moniker because they kept effing up in key moments and then they finally yeah. didn't um yeah no I, again i i it's totally possible i mean again if you if you make me pick my national championship favorite i kind of think it's probably alabama i just don't think alabama's gonna crush clemson just because i think the talent differential isn't what it used that's, to be that's that's fair i i mean i uh, think i think that could happen um i but i I, but, I mean, I do think – I mean, it, it is fascinating, though, because, again, Alabama was lucky to get into this playoff. But at the same time, I, I do think that there's – you know, that they might be the odds-on favorite to go all the way just from a pure talent perspective. It is interesting, though. This is the first year in forever, basically. Alabama, I think, came out of early signing day, I think maybe like 14th in the nation in recruiting or something like that, which is frankly stunning. I mean, Alabama is basically one or two every year uh, and has been for the past eight or nine years. So it's it's an interesting pivot point. Like the onus is on Alabama to ball out and reassert their dominance here um, for sure. And you know Saban's putting the fear of God into him. But. <laughs> so two two comments. One, I think on the like, wait, let's wait till February to see what their recruiting ranking really is. Because yeah, um, it's early signing and and, reg, and regular signing is kind of two different uh, beasts there with Alabama. Well, it's it's going to be really interesting to say. I mean, we're we're going to circle back to all this in a couple months. But you're right. It's really it's going to be really interesting to see 
what early signing period does to all those teams that traditionally put together those unbelievable classes really late. Like, are those guys still going to be around? It's going to be funny. Yeah. Well, and the, I mean, the other, then the other factor is like everything in college football is cyclical, right? And you've got a situation where Alabama has lost Kirby Smart, uh, Lane Kiffin. I'm not even going to count Steve Sarkeesian, but um, uh, Jim McElwain um, and now Jeremy Pruitt as offensive or defensive coordinators like in the last They've lost a major guy every year for the last four years or so, right? They and keep reloading, though. They keep reloading, but that where where I would expect that to most impact you um, outside of the offense, which you know Lane Kiffin obviously leaving has has had a, a big negative impact on Alabama's offense, but it, it's recruiting. Like that's where I would expect that to show up. Um, is and, and especially in in the short, you know, who knows how many kids Pruitt was recruiting that. Um, started to wonder if maybe they should uh, reconsider and, and think about uh, Tennessee where he's gone now. Um, I laugh now that I say that out loud, but <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, the point remains like there, there is, you know, as much as we, as we don't like that, that selling point for Northwestern's uh, uh, coaching staff, there is, there is a benefit to at least some short-term um, stability in, in, in your coaching ranks. So with all that said, do we think it's going to be, I feel like we're leaning toward Georgia, Alabama yeah, in the I, national championship game. I, 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 th- I think it's Georgia, Alabama in the national championship game. Um, I think that'd be a pretty awesome game. Frankly, it's it's not a rematch. I've heard some. I think I, I think Sam, that's been your point all along, is that you don't care about that because it's not a rematch. Yeah, no, I, I I'm absolutely fine with that. You know, they haven't played. It's not a rematch. I'm good with it. It, it doesn't it doesn't upset me. I just I just think that the. Um, I think it's going to make Jim Delaney uh, just breathe fire, and um, and the, the 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 powerful people outside of the SEC in college football are going to do work their hardest and their and their darndest to uh, try and change the makeup of the playoff and, and make it harder for a team like Alabama to get in and make it to the final without winning a national without winning a conference championship. Um, and I think the obvious way that you do that is either an eight. Uh, an eight or six team playoff. So um, I just, you know, much like that Alabama LSU matchup, like finally accelerated the the playoff conversation. I think a, a Georgia Alabama national championship game could do something similar. Um, I'm actually going to disagree with you guys here. Oh, Ooh. I'm going Clemson, Oklahoma. Oh, what a <laughs> contrarian pick. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Um, I, the Clemson over Alabama I, I, is a harder one for me to think, but I, for, for whatever reason, I just, I think Oklahoma's offense is just going to, is going to find a way to get it done against Georgia. Um, I mean, yes, you know, you, you look at Auburn and the way they, they were able to shred Georgia the first time they played. And yeah, I, I know that the second time they played Georgia shut it down, but, uh, you know, the first, like, I don't know if Georgia is ready for the Oklahoma offense, just as explosive as it is. I am fully prepared to be completely wrong here, but, uh, I, I just, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go contrarian here and, uh, I'm going to say Clemson, Oklahoma, um, just to see what happens. I think one of the funniest sides is it kind of feels to me that 
the the four if you ask me like who the four best teams are this season in the country, I feel like it's Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and Auburn. And I, I think Auburn is the most interesting, like the most interesting soap opera of the season is Auburn in terms of right, the team was not what it was at the start of the season you know, relative to what it was at the end of the season. But this is a team that played Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama this season. Um, and in the regular season, had a 2 and one record against those teams. Played Georgia again and lost. But really, down the stretch, it was a team that was just playing unbelievably well. And Carryon Johnson was looking like maybe one of the five or six best players in the country. And then basically, they just ran the legs off of the poor guy. And he was, he and, was dinged up in that Georgia matchup, yeah. Right, and was dinged up in the SEC championship game. And... There, it's like those four teams to me feel like the four best teams. So whatever, whatever anyone wants to say about the SEC, I feel like if if you just say right now everyone's healthy, you get to pick any teams you want. I think those are the four teams. Auburn had an absolute just crazy amount of talent when they were able to put it together on the same field. Um, and then you've got Oklahoma with just Mayfield, and and it is. I mean, Sam goes back to it. I mean, Mayfield may just figure out how to get it done. He got it done against Ohio State. So, you know, maybe he's the analogous uh, player to to uh, Deshaun Watson. Right. Uh, And and speaking of Ohio State, you know, you say that Auburn is is the fourth best team. You know, if you're going to drop Oklahoma out of there, there's a lot of people in Columbus who are going to pick up their torches and pitchforks and (laughs) and try to come for you there, John. Yeah, well, you know, you know where I'll be waiting, Kinnick Stadium. And they, can come and, they can come and visit me there. And I've got fifty-one, fifty-one reasons why they should come visit me. Why would you go to Iowa willingly? <laughs> yeah, seriously, come on, man. Uh, yeah. So, well, well the, the 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 one last question I have, but before we move on, um, will either one of these playoff games, and this, this is something that happened the last. You know, every year of the playoffs so far, will one of these playoff games end in a shutout? Who? And who would it be if it was going to be? And yeah, sure, we we could we could go that way too. I, I was I was going to leave that one. Uh, I w- I wasn't going to go there, but okay, sure. With all right. Anyone who's listening, feel free to just rewind back to everything I said fifteen minutes ago. If any team's getting shut out, it's Clemson. <laughs> <laughs> I so I, with everything I already said, what Scuzz said, if Bryant gets hurt at the start of the game or something like that, and they can't get a second a backup quarterback fired up, that's your quickest path to zero points. I think um I think it's unlikely that a team gets gets shut out, and my rationale is that these the defense so A, Baker Mayfield is not gonna get shut out. And B, the other three defenses are too good to not score on their own. <laughs> so <laughs> fair, I fair. just i i would be i'd be stunned if that happened. Yeah, Minka Fitzpatrick is is going to score for Alabama, so that's seven points for them <laughs> right there. Although I was I was stunned when Ohio State got shut out last. Yeah, year. Yeah, Ohio State got shut out last year, and Michigan State got shut out the year before. I mean, they were look they looked really really good throughout the year. And Michigan know, think, State, not so much of a surprise. Yeah, no, <laughs> to, to get shut out. I, I don't know. I I I was surprised they got shut out. I wasn't surprised they lost. I was surprised they got shut out. Yeah, 
No, I think we kind of thought they were going to get stomped. We didn't think they were going to get blanked, but but yeah, no. I mean, more than more than likely, yeah, none of these teams is, is getting shut out. But it, it's fascinating. I to me, it's it's Mayfield has the chance to cement this as one of the greatest college football seasons ever by any player. Um, if, it, it, he really does, right? I mean, you're talking Heisman Trophy winner, and if on top of that he immediately beats two of the best teams in the country and wins Oklahoma national title, it's that's that's in the pantheon of greatest college seasons because he basically will have done it all himself, and that's that's kind of insane. But that's they've got that's a long that's a high mountain to climb before sure. they before they sure. get to that point. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you think if Iowa had made it uh, over Michigan State in that Big Ten in that uh, after the Big Ten championship game that they would have lost to Alabama seventy to nothing? Probably. I'm kind of sad we didn't get to see that. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, Iowa would have gotten absolutely destroyed. Oh, they were <clears throat> so not good that year, even though they well, were undefeated. We can hope. Yeah. Anyway, uh, before we uh, turn away from football, I, I do want to kind of uh, look back on the last uh, few days of bowl games. Um, I, I know it's after Christmas, there's been a lot more games kind of popping up, uh, a lot more uh, Power 5 matchups. Any, anything kind of piqued your fancy? Anything you've seen over the last few days that uh, you kind of want to talk about? Purdue is up 31-14 over Arizona right now, and I'm loving every second of it. Good for Purdue. Duke got their big win over NIU in convincing fashion. I thought that game was going to be closer than it ended up being. Daniel Jones went off in that game, so they finished with a winning record and a bowl win. That takes a a little bit, although still not much, stink off of our loss to Duke, but uh, it softens the blow a tiny bit. <clears throat> um, State looked pretty good this afternoon. Um, yeah, hard hard to read too much into that. I mean, it, you know, they so much flux going on at Florida State, but yeah, they they did look great today. Oh, did, did you guys know that uh, UCLA found out minutes before the game that Josh Rosen wouldn't be available? <laughs> what? <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. Um, uh, we were... if, if anyone if anyone watched that game. Uh, if you think A, he was ever playing in that game, and B, he's in any way coming back next season, I don't know what to tell you. UCLA is a flipping train wreck. That game was just loaded with players who were high recruits making fools of themselves and not trying. And just the whole back half of that game was Kansas State just rolling over the top of UCLA. Just what a just what a disappointing era. For that team, I mean Jim Mora Jr. Man, yikes! That well, was the things that could have been over the past two or three years at UCLA, and just just a disaster. I thought Jed Fish really came out of that looking bad. Um, he, he this is a guy that's been seen as kind of an up and coming QB coach. Uh, he was with um, Harbaugh at Stanford, and then again at Michigan, and you know, was excited to go to UCLA this year to work with Josh Rosen. And then obviously Rosen was, you know, injured some and in and out of the uh, lineup, et cetera, et cetera. But he just looked like a sourpuss in that game and didn't seem to have any interaction with his team during the course of the game and, and no real answer to, 
uh, to the fairly obvious approach that um, Kansas State was taking and just, I don't know, I guess like they got up, it, it felt like UCLA kind of got up early and was like, ha, I knew we'd be good. And then um, face planted thereafter. And I don't know, I like the, the official reason for Rosen not playing is it is, is medical, you know? Um, and I think it's, I think it's possible he could have played that game. I just, I just think it's ludicrous that they didn't know until minutes before ESPN was really trying to sell that angle. Um, the other thing I'll mention that I've noticed in, in a lot of the games I've watched is the announcers unwillingness to call out horrible passes. And my favorite are the, um, the hail, like not hail Marys. Cause they're, it's, it's not a hail Mary play, but you know, the QBs will take a deep shot and, the safety is the closest guy to the ball and sometimes is within, you know, a couple steps of maybe catching it. And the announcers who will be in the middle of some, you know, random conversation will say, Oh, and he, he misses his target downfield. And it's like, he almost just really screwed the pooch on that play. Um, and it just, it seems that the, the announcing in bowl season in ESPN is just really, really, uh, disappointing. Uh, so, so the one game I, I want to talk about is uh, the Army San Diego State game. Oh, good. I'm glad you went here because yeah, to... that I'm that still game, mad about this game. Oh, that game was amazing. Um, Army controlled the ball for 46 minutes. Uh, you know, just the grounded. I mean, just running the ball the way Army runs the ball, and in 14 minutes of of offense, Rashad Penny for San Diego State. 14 carries, 221 yards, and four touchdowns was an absolute beast. Uh, so Army's down a touchdown late. Um, and it's not even all that late when they get the ball back to drive, but they're just driving down, just destroying the clock. Um, score the touchdown with, you know, half a minute left or so. Uh, and instead of kicking the extra point, uh, to potentially send it to overtime, Go for two, get it, because they will get two yard, two to three yards every play because they're army and they will get two to three yards every play. Why they don't go for two every single time is beyond me because they will get the two pointer every single time. Um, and then, you know, the San Diego State, you know, has the opportunity to, to possibly, uh, punch it down, like they, on the kickoff return, uh, he, he almost broke it and, and had one man to beat, uh, but and could have taken it back the other way to, to win it, uh, got tripped up and, um, then trying to do the Stanford, uh, lateral play, turned it over army, ran it in, uh, for the, the score, which made it 42, uh, 42, 35. But, uh, what an amazing game that, I mean, that game was just Awesome. Awesome to watch. I can't remember. I mean, I, I don't have the stats in front of me. The last time Army had a team this good. I mean, it's so weird. They Again, I talked about it earlier. They played one of the most ridiculous schedules I've ever seen. I think it's only the second time they've ever won 10 games. Yeah, ever. I mean, and this is, but this is... One, I mean, it's one of the most ridiculous schedules I've ever seen. This is a team that beat Eastern Michigan by one point and lost to Tulane. And at the same time, 
This is a team that beat Air Force, Duke, Navy, and San Diego State in four of their last five games of the season. So um, they were a team that played a lot of tight games and succeeded in the biggest moments of those tight games um, when, you know, with a lot of eyes on them in in big situations. So kudos to them. Um, It's funny. I sometimes laugh about this. I, I thought about it a little when Navy was on their real run the past couple of years. And, and neither Navy nor Army has ever gotten to the point where um, you can legitimately start asking questions. But because Army's been so bad um, for so long, people overlook the whole system that Army has set up. Army has a thing um, for you, and I know both of you guys are hockey guys. Um, Army has a thing called USMAPS, which is basically junior hockey but for football they can take these guys uh high school guys who commit to army and then stash them in this like prep school for another two years and then they become freshmen at army so if you look at army's roster they have a lot of guys that are like 23 24 years old army basically gets them for like six years to fatten them up and make them as good as possible and everyone's kind of okay with it because it's so hard for army to recruit and they, even with all of this extra help, they still get smoked most of the time. But it's very funny. Like, most people don't know that Army and Navy are able to do things that a lot of the other uh, colleges are not able to do. And they basically get away with them. They can have as many players on the team as they want. There are no scholarships, so there are no scholarship limits. Um, everyone who goes to these places is on a full ride. They get all this extra year of prep and everything. And, and we all let it go because even with all this, they still can't compete from a talent standpoint. But... If, uh, if Army keeps winning 10 games uh, in, in season after season, people are going to start to pay attention to this stuff. But, but for now, uh, we can just pat them on the back and say, job well done. Because why, why did that game make you mad? Because I had a lot of points on San Diego State. Because ah. <laughs> I, I expected Rashad Penny to be unstoppable, and he was. He I was! I just didn't expect Army to also be unstoppable. Yeah, that game was nuts. Um also, I, as much as I didn't want to be, I was impressed by Josh Allen. You know, he he looked he looked good. It makes you ask so many questions, though, right? Like sure. you look at that guy and you're like, where was he the whole rest of the season for well, this team? What happened was John Elway was in the crowd scouting him because the Broncos are picking sixth, I think, right now in the draft, and they're going to take him, and he's basically Paxton Lynch 2.0. Um, and you know, LA has just a thing for these big, tall quarterbacks, Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch, Josh Allen. And he's not, he's not going to fall that far. The Browns, the Browns have a choice between Josh Allen and Sam Darnold. And if you give the, the Browns, Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen and Darnold's not coming out. You don't think, is he, has he announced that? Uh, There's no way he's coming out. You oh you really don't think so? He's nah. been talking already. He's he was just giving interviews this week about saying that he doesn't have any preference for what team might draft him. I'd watch it because Rosen that, is saying that he doesn't want to play for the Browns, and that's basically telling Darnold that he could be the number one pick. That's what Darnold's I mean gave interviews about it this week. My point is though, but but you're missing my point because my point is. The Cleveland Browns are very likely looking at a decision between Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. And if you give the Browns a choice between A and B, they will choose Sandwich. And 
and most likely select Josh Allen with the number one, number one overall pick in the draft, uh, which I'm really hoping happens. Because Josh Allen has all the look of a guy who will just be a, a colossal bust as a Cleveland Brown, and I hope that, that they make that choice. Cold-blooded. <laughs> he does all the tools. I mean, like, you watch that guy and you're like, this guy can can make all the throws, and he looks like one of those guys who can make all the throws, and then is not a good quarterback. Well, uh, before we get out of here, I guess we should probably uh, talk about the basketball team and their trip down to Norman, Oklahoma, where they ran into a juggernaut by the name of Trey Young, uh, one hundred four to seventy eight. Um, that Trey Young is really, really good. He may be the best player in the country. <laughs> I know a lot of people are talking Marvin Bagley right now, but at this early point, uh, no one's making a better case for the Naismith than Trey Young, and he's only a freshman. And uh, yeah, we caught a nice piece of that. <laughs> what did he have? Something like seven threes in the first half or something like that? Um, 31 just, points, uh, 12 assists. Just just annihilated us and and i Scott's pointing out vic law uh did not suit up um and without vic law we were not gonna have a, a prayer in this game with vic law it would have been a tall order but uh but yeah nothing just lick lick our wounds put it in the back burner enjoy the holidays get ready for the rest of the season yeah it's the um the hopes of this team are are rapidly centered on on big 10 play and i don't know we were all, I think I've said this every week for the last like four weeks. We were all petrified when we saw Northwestern rank to start the season and this, that, and the other thing. And now it's, you know, those chickens are coming home to roost. But um, if Law can get healthy and uh, if this team can, you know, find their their uh, chemistry again, I, I, I don't think the Big Ten is, is that good that they couldn't do some damage and kind of get back to where they want to be. That's for sure. I think, you know, we're lucky we get something of a soft start to the conference season. We get Brown and then Nebraska, Penn State, Minnesota. So, um, you know, you could see us pulling some solid momentum here. But one thing, um, and I was just reading Sports Illustrated, was talking about it today. We're putting teams at the line at a crazy rate this season. And teams are bricking free throws like bananas against us. Which, those two things combined, basically tells you you're getting really lucky. So if we're, you're we're getting, play, dude, we're playing mind games with them. We're in their yeah, that, heads. That's that's right. Exactly. It's psychology. <laughs> it's strategery. Yes. Um, but I mean, and Scuzz was right out at the head of this vanguard. Where this team is missing Sanjay Lumpkin right now um, as a defensive glue guy, um, as a guy who's is locking teams down. We're out there. I think we're having defensive issues and we're hacking guys and people are getting to the line. And you only need to look at the DePaul game as an example of a game where if a team had shot free throws even marginally better, um, they win the game. So it's we've we've really got to get the defensive end corrected, um, and hopefully we can take advantage of the soft start to the conference season to to get our mojo back. I I think it's really gonna like the fact that we don't have a signature win through non-conference. It's it's going to hurt, and we're going to need to maybe knock off Michigan State. Do we play Purdue again? Um, no, we don't. No. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to need to knock off Michigan State. We're probably going to need to 
beat Ohio State, um, Michigan, you know, some of the, the top tier teams in the Big Ten. Um, We're going to have to just get hot and just roll off a huge win streak. I think that's 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 the only way. Yeah, so uh, we'll definitely see that, um, you know, for everyone flying back uh, home after the bowl game. Uh, that that game against Brown is an 11 a.m. tip-off uh, on FS1. Good seats still available at the uh, <laughs> All-State Arena. Uh, so, you know, head on over. Tune, tune that seat back TV to Fox Sports 1. Get some good watching on the on the flight back from Nashville. It's an hour flight. You're not going to be able to. <laughs> it's a, it's an up and down. I mean, they barely hand out the the drinks before they're picking them back up. So, um, so yeah, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, yeah, I, I know. You know, we did make mention of uh, early signing day. That happened. We got all 16 guys we were expecting. Um, you know, we talked about that quite a bit last weekend. Uh, we'll circle back around to that when uh, the, the second signing day, uh, traditional signing day in February uh, comes up um, as, as we really kind of dive in. There's still a lot of unknowns, I think. Uh, as, we, as we talked about last week, we're not quite sure how many more uh, scholarships Northwestern is looking at. Um, and a lot will be determined after the bowl game how many people uh leave if anyone else is leaving early. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of uh, cycle back to that in uh, early February. So um, be on the lookout for that. Uh, so we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week um, and continue our search for the Swoley Grail. So I'll jump in with some... Um... I'll call entertaining potential coaching news, and that is that uh, Willie Taggart is reportedly talking to Deion Sanders about uh, being a defensive backs coach at Florida State, which would kind of be the greatest thing ever. Um, kind of. <laughs> I, I mean, would be the greatest thing ever. Um, I mean, Deion Sanders obviously is one of the one of the largest um, personalities that has played the game, certainly as long as I've been a fan of football. And would just bring an amazing, an amazing uh, element to to Florida State and to the college game. I think that'd be really cool. I think while he's at it, Willie Taggart should probably call Randy Moss and see if he wants to come coach the Whiteouts. Because why not? Um, but I just uh, I I think that's pretty great. I I think I think Sanders wasn't he running a um, uh, a youth football program in California for a long time. I think that's right, but I could, I could be wrong. I know his, I know his son played at SMU a few years back. So he's been in and around the football world since leaving, since leaving the pros, obviously he's part of the, um, I think he was part of the NFL, uh, coverage on Fox for a while, et cetera. But, um, this, this would be, this would be really great. And, uh, that th- this could be the difference between Florida State being back <laughs> and being uh, uh, still mired in in a bit of uh, of a transition. I think you got to get Warwick done to coach the running backs. You know, <laughs> you bring you bring Myron Roll back. You remember the guy oh, who's Myron, the Florida yeah, State absolutely. safety? Who's uh, what is he? He got what, not the Fulbright. Rhodes, the, um, Rhodes, Rhodes scholarship. He got the yeah. Rhodes scholarship. 
I think um, he's busy. He's currently, he's currently a yeah, he's in neuromedicine. Uh, Do- Dr. Roll, I believe he's... Uh, Dr. Roll, yeah. He's, he's kind of dipping his toes into politics, I believe, is uh, last last I heard. So, I mean, you could bring him back as like a, a uh, kind of career services kind of guy. It's Florida State. There are a lot of opportunities there. Uh, but... Um, so for for my final thought, first of all, let me just say, and if it sounds like I'm a little desperate, uh, uh, maybe I am a little bit, um, but please come on out to Arlington Alehouse for the Westlot Pirates um, bowl party. It's going to be great. I'm making brisket. There will be delicious libations. There will be delicious food. It's only $10 a person, and that's just in advance against anything you drink while you're there. So it's practically free. Um, it's a great setup, a lot of awesome TVs. It's going to be an awesome place to watch the game. Um, so come on out, Arlington Ale House, downtown Arlington Heights, uh, on Friday uh, for the game at 3.30. So that's the first thing. The second thing, I found myself on an internet deep dive uh, today, um, not really expecting it, that ended up turning up an interesting piece of Northwestern trivia. So I was reading an article that peripherally mentioned Johnny Unitas today, and it led to me... Um, kind of reading a little bit about Johnny Unitas and then out of curiosity seeing if there was any video about the famous 1958 NFL championship game and someone has basically put a two and a half hour video up of that game that has the full radio call um, and, and matches up the video as well as they can with any other video about anything else related to any of those two teams. Um, it's really an incredible bit of work so check that out on YouTube. But when I was watching the 1958 championship game, which was between the Baltimore Colts and the New York Giants, um, they go through and they list the starting lineups for both teams in um, very long detail. Um, and as they went through, the starting center f- for the New York Giants, and the New York Giants were um, you know, built around halfback Frank Gifford, um, who was really the biggest name in the NFL at that time. Um, the center on that team was a guy named Ray Witeka. And when they went through and they listed all the lines, you know, and this is the radio call from 1958, it says, and here's center Ray Witeka, the former Northwestern star. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, so I looked it up and, and what I discovered was um, he was a, a very good, not a Hall of Fame caliber, but a very good offensive lineman in the NFL for about 10 years, played for a couple of teams, including the Giants. Um, and played in that 1958 championship game where Johnny Unitas led the opposing Colts to victory. Also played, uh, started on our 1949 Rose Bowl team against Cal. And um, later was the offensive coordinator for uh, under Vince Lombardi for the Packers in Super Bowl One and Super Bowl Two. So this is someone that I had no knowledge of uh, and is, was quite the pro. Um, played for, for Northwestern Center in the 40s um, and played big-time football in the NFL in the 50s and later in the 60s and 70s was a big-time coach. So Ray Witeka, very interesting name. And if you want to look it up, it's R-A-Y, last name, W-I-E-T-E-C-H-A. Well, that's really cool. Um, very, very neat. Uh, for my final thought, um, you know, normally I take this opportunity to shout out to uh, Northwestern's favorite uh, quarterback in the NFL, but as he is on injured reserve, uh, I will shift that to uh, another Northwestern alum in the NFL, and that is uh, Anthony Walker, who made his first ever start for the Indianapolis Colts last weekend, and 
had himself a game. Uh, eight tackles, uh, one TFL, and a blocked punt on special teams. Looked really, really solid. Um, yeah, he had a bit of a rough start to the season. Um, ha- had some injuries, but uh, when, you know, this late in the season, Indy has been out of it for a long time. They've had some injuries. Uh, he had an opportunity to start, and he made the most of it. So, uh, congrats to Anthony Walker, who uh, definitely grabbed that brass ring against the Ravens last week. Hopefully, he'll uh, be able to play well again this weekend. Um, not sure who Indy's playing, but uh, hopefully Anthony will have himself another great game to, to finish off the season uh, with a bang. Uh, with that, uh, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847-231-CATS. That's 847-231-2287. And you can email us, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scousbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you.